been a couple of weeks I was in Colorado last time I did this, and now I'm in LA. Did the Rotowire Vegas trip in the meantime. I feel like I got a lot to catch up on. I guess I'll start with Vegas and the Rotowire trip. I was a little, uh, I wasn't apprehensive, I wouldn't say, but I was a little bit like, is this going to be weird? Me being literally the only guy that didn't go along after the sale and showing up. And I knew that, you know, GDC, the parent company, had sponsored the trip now. It's no longer in the uh, Rotowire hands anymore. And what that was going to be like, the whole thing. And I have to say, it was great. It was really nice. Uh, one of the things I've said this before is that the sale was so harmonious, like between all the partners, that there's just no, there's no beef at all. Like it's, I'm the one that didn't go along, but, you know, everybody was happy for me and I'm happy for them. And there's just, I couldn't imagine it going down this smoothly, but it did. And uh, it was just great seeing everybody. So I know it's kind of boring. It would probably be more interesting podcast discussion if something went down. There's some beef or some like lingering resentment or something, but there wasn't. I was talking to Peter Shanky and he was just checking in to see if I was still happy with the deal. And, and the answer was yes. It's always gotten kind of upscale the last few years. We were at the Aria. We were at nicer hotels than we used to when I was kind of running the trip. I used to do it myself and you know, have to haggle with the steakhouses and stuff about getting in like an extra entree on the menu and stuff. I had like three grand for 40 people with booze and it was tough, but now they just have a nice budget and they can just do it up pretty nicely. We stayed at the Circa. I'd only been to the Circa Sportsbook last year to enter the Super Contest and it was it seemed okay to me, but actually the rooms were pretty nice. They were, they were new and they were clean. Good sized room that I got. It was nice. It was good. I didn't go to the steakhouse. I missed the I left on the Tuesday and they have the steak dinner always on the Tuesday night, the fancy dinner. So I, I missed the steakhouse, but I was told uh, by Seslowski that it was pretty good. I did go to Lotus of Siam with, uh, with Jeff Erickson and Alan Seslowski. I have pictures of that on the uh, Real Man Sports blog. Delivered as usual, at least as good as usual. It was If anything, it was better than I remember it. I got my entry into the uh, Circa version of the Super Contest. I got my entry into the uh, Survivor Pool, so I was good on that front. Um, I made a a Giants bet, an alternate over at like plus 220, Giants over eight. Feel pretty good about that. I don't know. It was just, it was just very, very fun trip. So I don't know. A little bit boring that we didn't do anything crazy. The only, the only thing I will say is the last night we were there, last night I was there on Monday night, Sazowski and uh, Thornberry and Jim Coventry, they convinced me to go out onto, the, uh, onto Fremont Street at night. Well, I'm not speaking figuratively when I say this. It was hell. It was 105 degrees out or whatever. It was hot as hell. I was a little uh, dehydrated from a lot of day drinking and I was dipping. So I was kind of cotton mouth. So that didn't help. But Fremont Street is like, you know, the downtown cheap, shitty bars and just these weird performers who have to stay in their circle, scantily clad strippers shaking their asses and trying to get tips, jacked dudes posing for photographs with women and it was just like it was just like a hell it was just like every single thing on that street was designed to siphon off a couple bucks from you siphon off your attention none of it was good at one point i got too close to one of the circles and a stripper grabbed my arm and i felt like she was a succubus trying to pull me into hell it was just a very dystopian desperate terrible low-life scene and then there were like people with their families masked up. There are people with masks walking around. I mean, look, if you're going to be so neurotic that you're wearing a mask outdoors still in 2022, 
why are you on Fremont Street at 11 o'clock at night with your kids? I mean, it just was just so bizarre, the whole thing. So that was uh, unpleasant, but the rest of it was great. So then I get back to L.A. and, and I, you know, I texted Heather from Vegas when she got here ahead of me with Sasha. And I said, how's L.A.? And in fact, one of the podcast episodes from last year or the year before was called L.A. And I normally hate L.A. I hate the traffic and traffic uh, is still bad. But I have to say it wasn't it's not been as bad as I expected this time, maybe just because my expectations were really bad after last year. We stayed in downtown L.A. last summer and the homelessness was so out of control. It's unbelievable. It's still there. You know, I mean, I, I haven't been downtown this summer, but I was in Venice and there's a lot of homeless people and there's homeless people under the underpasses. But it's definitely not worse than last year. And I have to say, like the rest of L.A., is pretty functional like everything's normal i did those uh, check-ins in lisbon everything's still normal restaurants bars coffee shops they just seem to be good energy people are out and about you don't really see that much sign of things collapsing or otherwise in decay i thought la would be in more decay after last summer and given that they've been one of the most strict places with COVID. It's hilarious. There's supposed to be a mask mandate reinstated today, Friday, July 29th. And they decided not to do it after all. And they said it's because cases went down. But obviously, the real reason is because they started getting a sense of how unenforceable that would be. And if they did do that, I almost wish they did do the mask mandate, actually, because if it turned out to be unenforceable, that would be the end, right? I mean, the, the real end isn't when the government says it's over, the real end is when the government says it's not over and the people say it's over. That's when it's really over. I mean, I think they were running the risk of that happening. And so I think they smartly, strategically at least, just decided to pretend like, uh, oh, actually the case has got better, so we don't need to do this anymore. Because I think nobody would have complied. I mean, there are still crazies here, you know, complying with this stuff. And I and I knew a few weeks ago in Colorado, I won't say who it was, but an MSNBC watching septuagenarian uh, in the family, I'll just say that, was talking to Sasha and me. We were, we were getting into an elevator in, in a hotel in Boulder and a woman was waiting for the elevator but didn't get in with us. And Sasha asked her, you know, why didn't she, well, why didn't she get in with us? And this person who I won't identify just because <laughs> who knows who, who's listening to this podcast said to Sasha, I, I think she's maybe worried about COVID. She didn't want to get in the elevator with us, but at least she's not one of those psychos wearing a mask. And that just cracked me up. You have this septuagenarian MSNBC NPR radio listening person referring to people who still wear a mask as psychos. And I, I feel like that's a pretty good sign the worm has turned. And of course, it's turning on all fronts. I mean, it's not just that. But, you know, there's research now coming out that the vaccinated spread COVID more than the unvaccinated because they, I think they spread it for longer. That's they're contagious for longer. That was the New England Journal of Medicine that came out. Of course, it's not reported by the legacy media. Why would they report that? That would just make them look bad. So I think the worm is turning and people are trying to move on kind of quickly from uh, their the stances they had on all of this. And I'm not going to let them move on until they, at a minimum, apologize. And, you know, so that we know that no, no, no. You have to apologize and account for this because the next manufactured crisis, we don't want you doing it again, right? You identified yourself as someone who would report you to the authorities. And now that you're identified as that, if there's no contrition, then you need to be viewed 
a bit of a liability. Like if the authorities or people in power go in one direction, you're a liability. If you're going to report your family and friends, colleagues, you know, that makes you a liability. You are now somebody that I don't really want to uh, share any confidences with or really associate with because um, you might have something on me and you, and if it could benefit you or get you in good or help you belong, um, you would turn on me. And I now know who you are in a way. It's lucky that this, I could ID you and this didn't turn out to be anything that there were no consequences. I mean, look at, look at Aaron Rodgers getting a big contract extension. Look at Cole Beasley saying he's in demand by several teams. Nobody gives a shit. Those guys you know, lived according to their conscience and they were rewarded for it. They, there was no real penalty for it except a bunch of Karen scolding them. And, and I was, you know, I was looking at some of the ESPN personalities like Mina Kimes, like had this scoldy rant about Aaron Rodgers in November. And she probably still thinks that, she, that was the correct thing to say. But I'm very curious, like if they, if there's going to be any acknowledgement of you know, being wrong and, and going back or, or they're just going to pretend like, but anyway, they, they identified themselves, the people who would pile on in a pseudo moral panic because the authorities told them to and you know that the internet's forever i mean people see that stuff and um, i'd be embarrassed if i had done that and i would definitely apologize if i had done that and just say look that was wrong i would trust somebody who said to me you know that was wrong i got caught up in that i'm ashamed of that it's embarrassing for me but you know i'm human and i, I made a mistake and it was really bad and i'm going to be on guard against being brainwashed and propagandized if, if if someone said that to me i would I would trust them again. In fact, I might trust them more because I would feel like, okay, it's an honest person, right? It's never too late to be honest. I think that's an important moral. So I, I got my eye on some of these people who went all in on the uh, authoritarianism and we'll see. I, they'll probably come back when it's convenient, when everybody's doing it. But the sooner you do it, the more credible it is. So I, I'm very, I'm very curious about that. What else happened that was, that was pretty interesting. So we've had two straight quarters of negative growth, shrinkage, I guess you would say negative growth. Economies shrunk for two consecutive quarters. And typically that's the definition of a recession. But the people at Wikipedia, Wikipedia is just, <laughs> it's a terrible source now. And they've just destroyed that site also. They destroyed the credibility of the legacy media, but now they're just destroying the credibility of the, uh, the source sites. And they've changed the definition of recession so that, so that the current regime can't be credited with uh, a recession on its watch. Now, I don't really think, you know, I think Biden's done a, a horrible job on a hundred fronts and he's, it's not even Biden. He's a demented person, whoever's pulling the strings. And I don't know who that is, but it's just amazing that they just can't even, like it used to be, you know, when George Bush had a recession or when both George Bushes had recessions, like it was a recession. It was just a fact. Recessions happen. It was, it, it happened on their watch. Doesn't mean it's their fault, but it, it was a fact. It happened. And you would just acknowledge that. But now, if the vaccine doesn't work to stop the spread at all, if more vaccinated people per capita who took it are hospitalized than unvaccinated per capita, not just the raw numbers, but based on per capita numbers of people who took it and didn't take it, they just change the definition of the vaccine. If the economy goes a certain way, they just change the definition of recession. Not even get into the fact that they're pretending that that women aren't the only people who can get pregnant and give birth and just 
th those things are so absurd. I see people like uh, Wesley Yang, who I, I really respect Wesley Yang, good follow, going into the sort of debunking the very strange world of, you know, this trying to get more kids to be transsexual, trying to give them puberty blockers, all this crazy stuff that's going on. Not just simply saying, if you're an adult and this is how you feel, do it, do what you want and you're a human being, so you should have rights, which I think most people agree with that. To like actually making this an activist thing, like trying to give kids hormones. And I don't even, I don't even follow the whole thing. I'm, I, it's so gross and perverse to me that I, I don't even... I don't even get into it, except that I see that people like Wesley Yang are like fighting, fighting the fight. Um, so not to even get into that absurdity that's going on, you know, at the same time, um, I'm just in with the basics, you know, the redefinition of what a vaccine is, the redefinition of what a recession is, um, let alone this birthing people bullshit. I mean, it's just, it's so dumb. I, I don't even want to talk about it on the podcast. It's like too stupid even to get into, but I don't know. I, I assume it's just like some activists on Twitter, but it, you know, it's, I think it's happening in schools and in places in Portugal. It's not really a thing. So it doesn't affect me personally that much, but if it did, I'd be, you know, <laughs> who knows other couple of things. So I feel like they're transitioning like the Ukraine war, that thing's kind of fizzling the propaganda around that. I mean, they had president Zelensky was doing a, uh, a Vogue photo shoot. I mean, what the fuck? You know, what the fuck is this? Like, this is just not, is this real life? The guy who's the hero in this war, war zone is doing a Vogue photo spread. What the fuck is that? Like, how is this? They're, they're not even trying anymore. They're not even, it's like, it's so preposterous. Like, who the fuck knows? Like, how is this on the level at all? They're just funneling billions into Ukraine and they're doing a Vogue photo shoot. And this is so absurd. But there's still like effects of this stuff, all this craziness. Like, so for example, my 85 year old uncle who, you know, he lives in Palm Springs. We're in L.A. And I always make a plan to see him every summer. He's my uncle and I'm pretty close to him. And he was supposed to come in and, and see us. He's getting a ride in because he's getting to the point where he's not really up to driving. We, we offered to come out to see him. He said, no, I'll come in to you guys. And the, yesterday morning where he was supposed to meet up and we blocked out the day, told us he, he wasn't going to come. He was too worried about COVID, catching COVID. He's 85. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I didn't argue with him because it, you know, he wasn't reasoned into it. He wasn't going to be reasoned out of it. I mean, it's just fear. And I'm thinking, okay, I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, I mostly just want him to see Sasha, who's 10 and five foot one. And, and he'd be like, wow, he knew her when she was a baby. He was there. You know, he was every year we, we brought her over and he saw her grow up and just to see how big she is and get a kick out of it. And, and so he's not going to see her because... His TV told him to be very scared. It's a shame. It's really a shame. I mean, could he die of COVID if he caught it? Of course, he could die of the flu. He's 85. He's in pretty good health, though. He looks pretty good. But you can die. But what's the point if you don't see your family, if you don't see other people? So it's really, I don't know, disappointing. I'm not, you know, again, it's, 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 I, it's mostly for him. You know, I, I do it because I feel connected to him and I, and I want him to see Sasha. But the TV got to him and that's that out of my control. Anyway, the only minor disappointing thing about this trip, everything else was uh, going really well. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much shit going down. I mean, if you, if you read about what's the January 6th thing and the, the involvement with the FBI and how fake that was, and it's just incredible. I mean, the stuff it's like, it's like, it's so fake right now. Everything's so fake. 
it's unbelievable. And, and they've pivoted. They've moved on from Ukraine a little bit. And now they're into the, uh, they're pushing the, the climate change thing. And I wrote about this. I don't know if climate change is an imminent catastrophe or not. I really don't. There's no way for me to know. But the idea that scientists say so should be a justification for me being very afraid. That's not going to cut it anymore. Not after COVID, not after two years of this. Like scientists say in the New York Times, quote, scientists say, leading scientists say, the majority of th scientists believe, experts think, it's just not going to cut anymore, man. <laughs> it's, no it's not good enough. It, that's not a reliable heuristic. It's just not. If you believe scientists say or experts believe, then you're almost certainly going to be wrong the last couple of years. These people don't know a goddamn thing. You know, they said inflation was transitory. They said you won't get this virus if you take the vaccine. There's so many things that are just completely fake and made up. And these scientists are obviously, a lot of them are bought and paid for. You see how the scientists who dissented were silenced, censored, deplatformed. How can you believe anything anymore? I mean, you, you really have to verify things. So do, is climate change observable from where I sit? Yeah, the climate changes. I don't, is it, is it, does it seem like there's an imminent catastrophe in Portugal, in Colorado, in LA, the places I've been? No, it does not. I don't see any evidence of that at all. That's it, right? I mean, I, I finally got around to that with COVID. Are there bodies in the street? Do I know tons of people who have died of COVID? No, I don't. I don't. I know older people. I'm 51. I know people, lots and lots of people in their 70s, friends, parents, my uncle. None of them have died of COVID. Nobody I know. And so if there were bodies in the street, yeah. If tons of people I knew personally died of COVID, yeah. I would have uh, had a different view on it. I would have been more prone now to thinking the dire predictions were quite possibly true. But I don't see it with my own eyes. I don't hear it with my own ears. I don't smell it with my nose. I'm going to have to be skeptical. You can't tell me that there's imminent climate catastrophe and I see nothing. Now, I'm not saying that that means that I'm right. It doesn't mean that, you know, there could be something happening that is beyond my senses and capacity for observation. It's certainly possible that climate change is an imminent catastrophe, and I'm just simply not aware of it. I, my senses are too limited. I don't have the scientific instruments at my disposal to really measure what's going on. And that, unbeknownst to me, we're in imminent collapse. That is totally possible. Why would I think it's actually happening? I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that, that I could be wrong. I just need evidence to act. You telling me so, you saying that it's so is not good enough. Scientists say so is not good enough. So I'm going to need to see it. it. It's unfortunate that it's come to this, right? I, I would be much, much better to have trustworthy scientists and trustworthy governments and trustworthy media telling us, you know, what is beyond the reach of our personal observations giving us something reliable to go on beyond our personal observations, but they simply are not that. So when you know people are deliberately lying to you, when you know that there are agendas at play, then what can you do? I'm just going to trust myself. And I do research. I look into things. I've seen a lot of compelling claims that this stuff's very much exaggerated, that polar ice caps haven't melted the way they were predicted, that the models in the last 20 years are totally false, that signs about Glacier National Park and Washington were take, had to be taken down, that it was going to be gone by 2020, that those signs had to be removed. I mean, I, I also understand complex systems. I understand that complex systems are not 
They don't work linearly. It's not like, oh, it declined 2% for this decade. It's going to decline 2% more for the next decade. It doesn't work like that. There's second order effects where it declines 2% and that makes things greener and then more trees grow and then absorb more carbon. There's all these complex cycles that happen and that it's not easily predictable. Worst case scenario, could it happen? Of course, of course it could. Complex systems also have worst case scenarios that are hard to predict too. But I mean, we know the earth is a complex system. We know the weather is a complex system. We know the climate is a complex system and we can't just not live our lives because there's some possibility that things could be catastrophic. We need to have good evidence and scientists say so is not good evidence. So I remain skeptical, but I also remain open to observing something that makes me say, holy shit. And some people say, oh, it'll be too late by then. Well, I mean, you can live in fear of anything. And the other thing is, is it even in our control to prevent it? You know, I mean, how much of it is just natural cycles? I just don't see a compelling reason to live in fear of this. Again, I'm wrong about a lot of things. It's possible I'm wrong, but I don't go based on what, what's the worst thing that can happen. And I better be super worried, even if I can't control it. But I, I see them uh, scaremongering. I was listening to NPR, National Public Radio, or as I call it, neoliberal propaganda radio. I mean, this is so bad. First of all, every, every woman who works for NPR seems to have this almost valley girl type of tone. It's this very weird. Like it's like a, it's become like the upper crust laptop class, college edu educated intonation. If you listen to how these, these women talk, they have this very, like, it's almost like, I can't really explain it, but I, I think people know it when they listen to it. This, this like laid back sort of laid back, passive aggressive. There's a, there's a way of speaking and most of the newscasters have it now. It's almost like Valley girl, but less likes. I don't know where, where it's from, but anyway, you, I, I know it when I see it. And so they have this like sort of tone and they're just of course the floods in kentucky are because of climate change they're sure of it and it's not just heavy rains it's a historic heavy rain event it's a heavy rain event it's not rains it's a, a rain event so these are events they're climate change caused no doubt and it's hilarious how they're so worried about the vulnerable in kentucky the same mostly unvaccinated people who they wanted to drop dead because they wouldn't take the uh, pfizer pfizer injection now they're, they're so concerned about these people because now they're the victims of, cl of climate change. And I'm listening to it and every, every sentence is this like alarmist. And, and I found myself feeling a lot better if afterward. I just said to myself, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, after every sentence. Because I felt like in the best Karen voice I had in my head, I'd be like, oh my God. It made it feel like I was in the rhythm of the program. Like I was the, now I was in the, I was the right demographic. I became a Karen. Everything they said was, oh my God, oh my God, climate change. Oh my God, unvaccinated. Oh my God. And then I just felt like it was good. I started to enjoy the program, this fear mongering. I started to get into it. Um, and I understand how people, why they, who, who the target audience is and why they enjoy it. Just, it's just so funny. Like they move on from one, one thing to the next, one fear mongering to the next. And, and then they, they're like, and, President Biden, in very serious terms, President Biden is made immediately made aid available and governor, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like cast as the heroes in the administration, blocked by the evil, unscientific opposition. It's just like this narrative that's just so crazy. Like, if you, once you realize, once you see through it, once you know better, it's just so crazy. I mean, I feel like whatever I imagined, so the Pravda, the Russia propaganda to be in the 80s, whatever we were told that was. Now I'm seeing it. Now it just sounds like that to me, how crazy it is. 
I wouldn't really wish it upon anybody. It's, it's really pretty bad. But the oh my gods really helped the experience. One thing I want to uh, emphasize: I've gotten uh, a few, quite a few subscriptions to the uh, Real Man Wood Substack, and I want to remind people that if you contributed to Chrysalis.com or RealManWood.com podcast, which is a bunch of you, and you would like some free time, a lot of people I said this to, I said you can have free time on. Uh, realmansports.substack.com. Uh, it's realmansports.substack.com. I said, if you contributed, you can have free time there because you don't have to pay for this after you've already contributed to something that I'm doing. But a lot of them were like, no, I want to pay, which was also very nice to hear. So if you want to pay, I'm not going to stop you. I will definitely uh, let you pay if you want. What else is... Uh, yeah, Bitcoin's bounced back a bit. Again, I'm not. I'm not really worried about it feathering in still it's now around twenty four thousand. Uh, it really the macro situation is going to dictate the uh the short-term movement of bitcoin it's going to you know if they if they tighten again because they're worried about inflation then bitcoin's going to go down if they loosen because they feel the inflation is less perilous than the looming recession that we're in then bitcoin's going to moon it's kind of weird that the markets now are the opposite of the economy like if it's a recession they feel like they have to make more money available. So the markets soar, including Bitcoin. And if it's uh, inflation, like the markets, things are getting expensive because activity is heating up. They've got to tighten and then the stock market goes down. Like literally the stock market is a reverse indicator of the real economy. That is strange. It shouldn't be like that. Maybe that'll decouple at some point. But I, I want to talk about, uh, I'll, I'll just talk some sports. So I've been taking Saquon Barkley in every league. I think I talked about that a bit. When you look at a player's value, it's really just health role, team context, and skills. And everything checked, you know, all the boxes are checked for him. I mean, he hasn't been healthy in his career, but he's healthy now. Team context's gotten a lot better. We'll see how good it actually is. Role is ideal. That's maybe the most important thing after health. Um, he's going to get everything. He's going to get a lot of catches. And then skills. I mean, Barkley is, uh, he's the guy that they drafted. You know, he just was in a bad situation. He was banged up for a couple of years, but uh, they just showed him making a great catch, spinning catch and a long throw. Uh, for a touchdown in in uh, training camp and is a receiver play. You know, not a lot of running backs make that catch. So I feel like still aggressively drafting him. Another guy I like is Dalvin Cook. He's been healthy. They say he looks really fast in camp. He's kind of like a Fred Taylor. I mean, he's not there yet, but Fred Taylor got hurt early in his career and he's considered injury prone. And then he just kind of stayed durable and Cook misses a game or two a year. But ever since he tore the ACL and came back, he's been pretty reliable and he's a beast and a, offense that really runs through him so dalvin cook probably my rb3 after saquon and, and jonathan taylor taylor's one saquon two cook three and then after that maybe mccaffrey's four i see the case the upside i just have a bad vibe health wise and i see all of these sort of sharp pundits being like you know you can't predict health and if you if you're fading McCaffrey, you're predicting health because when he's healthy, he's the one one. He's going to have Jonathan Taylor and some of the NFFC ones for that reason. Because if McCaffrey and Taylor play 16 games, give me McCaffrey all day because McCaffrey is going to catch 100 passes and Taylor will catch 45 or 50. So it's going to be hard for Taylor to beat out McCaffrey if they're both healthy. But the whole you can't predict health thing may be true, just like the whole you can't predict kicker scoring is true. But you still take Justin Tucker. Because even though on average you can't predict kicker scoring, greatest kicker of all time is pretty reliable. Well, even on average, you can't predict running back injuries or player injuries. Certain guys are especially durable and certain guys 
uh, might be kind of injury prone. And McCaffrey was durable until he was injury prone. But part of the problem with him is he's like 5'11", 205, very low body mass index. And you have coaches that will use him, you know, give him 25 carries a game. And I think if I, if I have McCaffrey, I want him getting 12 carries. I want him to be used like Austin Eckler. I don't want him to be used the way he was used a couple of years ago, even though it's great if he stays healthy. I just think the risk to health outweighs the benefit of the extra carries. So we'll see. But I think he's going to be used too heavily for his body mass index, and and he's a big risk. So I could see you know him as my next back, but I'm I have a bad vibe in him, and I think that the you can't predict injury risk people might be it might be left holding the bag. I could be wrong. Same thing with you know Henry last year was like oh, you can't predict injury risk and. For eight games, it looked like I was wrong that he was, you know, that I'd faded him and then he's out for the year. And maybe that was just coincidence, but I'm probably out of McCaffrey, the price. Uh, Najee Harris and Eckler would be my next two. Eckler, I'm a little nervous about. He's a bit older, but they don't use him too much. And then Najee, I think, is pretty good. Team situation is not great, but he'll get the work. I think you're pretty assured of that. He seemed pretty durable. So probably Najee after that. And then after that, it's kind of, I'm not really that clear on who I want. I like Javante Williams probably next. I like Swift, but I think he's a bit injury prone too. So I'd probably take Javante over Swift. And then I like ETN maybe next after that. Anyway, Aaron Jones, not really kind of, yeah, Aaron Jones is, is, I could probably take there too around the turn, early second. But that's that. I think I'm going to make a bet on the Panthers to win the, uh, the NFC South. I'm only getting 11 to 1 in this one place. Kevin Payne has helped me out with that. New York. Myself, plus 1325 on the Circa app in Colorado. Unfortunately, I'm not in Colorado, so I can't make that. But I, I feel like the Bucks are past their prime. I, I don't think, I, I think this team may be in for a collapse. I mean, Brady's, he may win the Super Bowl and leave, but 45, he'd already retired briefly. I think he may be on the way down. Godwin's banged up. No Gronk, no Sue, no JPP. I think the team is a little bit might is a little bit overrated. And then the Saints are pretty good, but they lost Taron Armstead. I'm not really a believer in Jameis. I think Sean Payton did some boneheaded things, but also had a lot of things right. Um, new coach, new QB. I'm kind of fading the Saints, even though they're you know they're they're stout on the offensive and defensive lines. So the Panthers, I'm gonna bet on they're uh plus eleven hundred where I can get them and plus thirteen twenty-five somewhere. I'll, I'll do a little bit of plus 1100 and I'll look for a better price later. I feel like Baker Mayfield is league average and we've seen him play above league average, but he's a league average QB, even though he's worse than that last year, he played hurt. He probably shouldn't have. I think Darnold just killed the Panthers last year. The Panthers have a decent defense. You get a league average QB, maybe he plays a little above league average. This team could, uh, they could be okay. They're going to have an easy schedule. And, and if the bucks are a little bit overrated, I think Carolina's the play at the, at the odds that they are. So I can make a bet on the Panthers. Kind of like that. Other thing I was going to say about football is that I'm really going to try to follow as few uh, pundits as possible. I'm not really into other people's predictions. Kind of think it's like the news. Like there's just so much noise. And the markets, ADP, the spread picking markets, they're pretty good at, markets are good at is capturing a lot of information so uh, a market can capture the available information in a way that uh, an algorithm has trouble ca capturing or that a person has trouble 
capturing. It aggregates information very well. So if you have everybody's draft position aggregated into one place, it's a good, it's a pretty good way to capture a lot of the information. But information is always about the past. So you've got all this information about the past, and the past is correlated with the future. So obviously, if a player has been really good in the past, it's more likely that he'll be good in the future than if a player has not been good in the past. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a guarantee, but it means it's more likely because the past is predictive of the future. The, the causes that obtained to make things happen in the past, if they're still in place, will likely make things happen again same way in the future. So the markets are very good at sort of aggregating information from the past. And some algorithms are pretty good at that too. You know, the good baseball algorithms, the bat, steamer, pretty good at uh, aggregating past information. But where they're really not good, markets and even algorithms, is when conditions that made things a certain way in the past do not obtain in the future. Like for example, ADP would be a lot less predictive if the NFL changed from a football to a basketball, right? I mean, that's a ridiculous thing, but it would be very, very different. Um, the predictive value would go way down because the conditions changed. Or if the fields gained 10 yards of width and shrunk 20 yards of length, and that would be not as crazy of a, of a change. But they would start to lose predictive uh, capacity because then different skills would be more valuable and, and different uh, players would do better. But you don't need to make, you know, those are just obvious cartoon examples. But I think that where these algorithms and the markets do a very poor job is, is predicting the future when conditions change drastically. And since the markets do such a good job of predicting the future when conditions are more or less the same, that, that means that most people, they, they don't want to give up the accuracy most of the time to at the, you know, the cost of maybe being more accurate some of the time. So the goal is to understand the algorithms and the markets uh, for what they are but to be extremely open-minded to drastic change in situations and to have sort of a nose for it. And even if you don't predict it, because it's hard, be onto it really quickly when it starts to happen, when you start to see it. And I think that that is the skill that the uh, people who are the slaves to the spreadsheet just don't have. And you see this in not just in fantasy sports, but in, in general, right? The, the trust the experts, the, the people who um, were so confident um, because other people thought something uh, what's going to happen in society. Those people got it just so wrong when conditions changed, when the incentives got really screwed up. And so anyway, it's just uh, a heuristic to keep in mind. You know, the efficient market hypothesis is so stupid. The idea that everything's baked in. Everything in the past is baked in, perhaps. But the future is not the past. The future, there are condition changes that happen all the time. And I, I get this with Bitcoin because you have a lot of traders and analysts just looking at this like it's a tech stock. And they're looking at it through a framework um, from the past. And these are the people that get it least in some ways because for this to happen, it would be a complete paradigm shift. It would be a completely different way of ordering the world financially uh, if the base money were Bitcoin rather than you know a bunch of fiat currencies inter- uh, issued uh, by treasuries and massaged by central banks. And so it's just a paradigm shift. And, and the old methods are just getting it wrong. And so it's funny that some of the traders like Paul Tudor Jones and Stanley Druckenmiller, and these are, these are some of the guys that are in there early. Um, some of those guys with an eye for when things shift. And then, of course, uh, just people who are open-minded in that way. Just an interesting thing. I, I, I always think with that, that the valuation methods are all wrong because when you're dealing with the paradigm shift, the past just is a bad, you have to kind of let go of it. 
you can have analogies. The internet, the internet's a pretty good one in the nineties, you know, when it emerged um, and the volatility surrounding that, you know, dot com boom and bust. And then of course it's more dominant than ever the internet and internet commerce, but it makes me uh, not really get shook when uh, I hear legacy participants discarded or, or they're not on board. I just, it makes me kind of laugh because I'm like, yeah, that they're, they're the probabilists, the naive probabilists who look at the past and assume things are just going to be the same. And it's the same thing with like, you know, the people are like, oh, just put your money in the stock index. Like that's safe. It's worked for the last 60 years or 80 years or whatever. And it's always that Bertrand Russell example that I like where about inductive reasoning, he said, it's like jumping off the Empire State Building and counting the windows as you go down. And when you get to 80 saying, so far, so good. In the past, uh, when there's when there's a condition change, meaning the ground, it doesn't matter that you're 80 for 80. Everything, uh, all your past uh, correlations and predictions uh, will be out the window. Anyway, that's going to do it. Be uh, Mexico City. I sound like I'm like on a comedy tour or something. I'll be on Mexico City on August 2nd and be back in Portugal on August 6th and then France and Spain. So I don't know how much time I'd have for podcasting, but uh, I don't know. Till next time.